I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to Babe. 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 I'm here with Jocelyn Fee Miller. Miller. Sorry. <laughs> she, she's married now. Everyone's names change when they're married, and I don't personally understand. Like, just as like a, I can't wrap my head around friends' name changes who have gotten married. I'm technically not a name change yet but i am marketing myself as a name changed person so you're is, jocelyn female professionally and i don't have a hyphen fuck hyphens i think hyphens are, are stupid they're demeaning wait so now like technically your middle name is fee no my name is jocelyn jane fee miller love okay but but just like i have to get a new passport so i'm going to become once I have to do the passport thing, you're going to become official name Jocelyn change. Fee Miller, submit it n- and lose Jane. No, no, no. I'll keep Jane too. Just, okay. So my last name will be Fee Miller with a space between. They're going to be pissed off. I hate that. I hate them. That's annoying. Thank you. What if you? What if you? Did you ever think about merging your last names into one new Filler? last name? Filler. I liked. Or me. I liked me. M-E-E. Yeah. I loved that. But I think if I chose a name, we, we laugh about being um, Wellsprings. That's like our our fake last name. I call Jason, hey, Dr. Wellspring or Professor Wellspring. or mm-hmm. So we just, that's our, if we ever changed our last name, it'd be Wellspring, I guess. Change it. I love like, I love the idea of just deciding a new last name for yourself. A new and like, lineage for yeah, entire a new family. lineage for the entire fam and changing it and then go, I mean, going from there. No identity. No baggage, though. No, Imagine that. You shed the baggage of your ancestors and create a whole new wealth of baggage. I feel like we'd have to like take ayahuasca in order to solidify the name change. Like figure it out together on ayahuasca. Yes. yes. That's hot. Or destructive. Yeah. I don't, I don't think I'd ever want to take someone's last name. I don't think I ever want to take ayahuasca even just thinking about it. <laughs> have you no. ever? No, 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 I haven't. Have you done a, you've done psychedelics because we've done psychedelics together. I mean, I just had a mushroom cap the other day. Does that count? Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just flashed back to, um, psychedelics with you at Coachella. I know. I wrote down Coachella in my notes for something to talk about today. Cause that was like one of the first things we did together after getting out of boarding school. Come on out for Coachella. Mm-hmm. I live in SoCal. Oh my gosh. That, that's hilarious. It was a lot. I watched you guys do the mushrooms because I wasn't really ready yet. Oh, you didn't participate. I had like a tiny bit 
And then I went to sleep in the tent and there were people like humping in the tent right next to my tent. And I was like, I don't know if it feels like I'm having sex with them right now because I ate that mushroom piece. Or just because they're so close and in a tent. Mm. I'd see option B. I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the latter. <laughs> I remember, so we went to Coachella the second year it had ever been a thing, I think. Wasn't Radiohead playing that time? Radiohead was headlining. That was like the whole impetus for the journey because Radiohead was our favorite band. And all we throughout like, boarding school, all throughout boarding the school, police. them. Yeah. And then like we had a therapist. Did you see Dr. Fisher ever? Of course. Okay. Yeah. How d- we wouldn't be friends. You, so we, there is a therapist that flew up to cascade every like every other week every other week or something like that or every week for like one day and he would see all the kids that wanted to talk to an actual real therapist and you could tell dr fisher anything and he wouldn't rat you out like it was was kind of hashtag trending over there he was very trendy (laughs) there were three therapists that like would come onto campus and it Dr. Fisher was like definitely the chicest one. Although I was always curious about the woman therapist. Sorry, there's a dog barking. It's Joan the neighbors. Like, yeah. But who was the third one? Cause I saw both Dr. Clegg. I saw him. Ugh. He had a really bad, I hate the name Clegg as like a double G. Yeah. I was not a fan. And then he also just like had a really creepy vibe. Ugh, I didn't see him, but I remember even thinking about him being creepy. I tried to shake him down for sleeping meds. And then he did prescribe me like Remeron or something. But that's actually like an antidepressant that side effect is sleeping. So he tricked He shook me down in return. Thanks, but no thanks. Yeah. Plague. But then I did take that. I think the entire time that I went, I think I cheeked it once and we tried to all snort it. <laughs> <laughs> It's technically not a psychedelic, we found out. I'm yeah, sure. it doesn't do anything. We tested Except it. So do you go night, night. Bye, bye. But not even like fun night, night. Like, tr- this is trippy. Just like you close your eyes and go to sleep easily as opposed to not with visions. So, yeah, Dr. Clegg I went to for a while, but then I switched to Dr. Fisher and he was like, like a kind of your classic Jewish analyst and in his office, remember it was covered. He was like also like a very worldly like traveler Eclectic. and photographer. So he had all these like large scale photographs of like African tribes people in his office and like masks from his travels. Mm. And he had like awards for his like travel photography. Didn't he also do hypnosis? He didn't do hypnosis. He did. A, he had a light machine that you could get so hypnotized by once you were like once you and him had like a good rapport and you were like in he would buy you a cd of your choosing that was like not like that would normally be considered like a pop-off but he would buy you a cd and then he would you could wear this light machine that just like created strobes with the music and it was just really relaxing it was I... like meditative Never got on the inner circle with him because I never got a fucking CD. You didn't? No. And all I got from him in my memory, and no offense, a little rage coming through here, guys. Yeah. He just told me that he thought it was inappropriate that I sat on my father's lap and that he <laughs> thought that my father and I, that I, I probably had some pedophilia problem with my dad 
because we had an affectionate relationship. And this is what he was trying to convince me of after his suicide. So if you want to... like an in retrospect? In retrospect, your dad's probably a pedophile too and and suicidal. Well, I'm like, that's not so helpful. No, thank you. (laughs) I don't even have a chance to reconcile that shit. You know, like I don't have a chance to find the secret porn den or whatever the fuck is going on with that the pedophile father that Dr. Fisher was dealing with with someone else. Because you just sat on his lap? Yeah, I, we just had an affectionate relationship and I would talk about really... I don't it's even, not like you were like, daddy. There's no way that, that I would bring any of those like tones in. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So the fact that It he, was like sit on his knee at a family dinner and hug him. Yeah, I only saw I mean, him twice I'm, a month anyway. It's not like I was like... Yeah. enjoying it that much i've never been a lapset with my dad but we also weren't that close but i was the baby yeah you were you're the, the baby i'm the oldest i did kiss my dad on the mouth up until like just a few years ago just and may everyone's <laughs> i would kiss my dad on the mouth now. i think maybe every once in a while we do a mouth kiss but we were always a mouth kiss family the problem being three or four years later the dream sequences that came in we've talked about this I blame Dr. Fisher for all your dream problems that three or four years once I was reaching my sexual prime guess who I was having dreams about having sex with every night your dad hi dad I missed you I love you great to see you please uh, uh, why am I enjoying this penetration now I'm fucked up it's great to see you you know it's like you've been dead for a while I missed you I'm a grown woman now and the psyche go ahead and delivered that shit so what did you (laughs) (laughs) isn't that a gift i blame dr fucking fisher for that part yeah that's not very chill of a dream i've come to i've come to i think i i think i had a sex dream about my dad once (laughs) and then woke up and was just like no no yeah he's alive at least so you're you can that's worse almost no actually maybe (laughs) no It was like nice a- try. <laughs> <laughs> okay, sorry. Um, um, <laughs> anyway, Doctor Fisher was any- very trendy, and I never got the CD. That's all. It's very trendy. I want to know from readers too. Have you ever had a sex dream about a parent? Share sharing is caring because I wasn't going to say anything and just pretend that you were the only one dreaming about. You got to shamelessly share this stuff because it's just the human experience, right? Yeah. Maybe it, what if I lose every listener and this podcast like becomes like a huge null for everyone? It's that's not going to happen. <gasps> because of like, my sex I don't know because of me, like it's my shame. <laughs> oh, oh no. Shame no, no, no. circle. We're going to cancel that circle circle dot dot reverse. Um so Dr. Fisher was trendy. He was like a Judas, though, because we were super tight. And then on the last day, when graduation happened and all of our parents came up, we had like a final session that was like me and my parents, like figuring out how we're going to move forward and like be chill with each other, like figuring out what it's going to be like when I'm home. And so we all sat in his office and had a session and I told my parents because I was 19 and a half when I graduated and I was like look I have definitely made some mistakes at boarding school but like I've used every home visit to come home I followed all the rules like I have not like drank or done anything because I want you guys to trust me 
but like I don't want to come home to I like don't want to have a curfew like I'm not going to have a curfew okay and then (laughs) my parents were like I don't know about that and then Dr. Fisher sided with them and he was like I don't know like but and I was like what the fuck are you talking about like you're supposed to back me up here and now you're saying I like need all these rules and like blah, blah, blah. And so our last appointment and our last time talking was really contentious because he like turned. And then I was just like, dude, what the fuck? And it was like a really tense discussion that didn't get left on good terms because I think he had lots of families like lined up that he would have to talk to about this. And then I was like, OK, bye. And then like we never talked again. Who's paying his bill? Oh, true. That's it. But that's not chill. That is not conscious business ship, which is what we're all about over here. Consciously integrating principles into your business instead of who's getting your money. He was not best practicing in that moment. I feel like he was just trying to like maybe hook up with one of the girls. Or he was trying to get other kids to be able to have like a like an affair in like a room or something. Did he, he get like- access? No, but people did fuck in that office. Um, like people would break because there was a bed in there because some of the doctors, I think Clegg would sleep in that office sometimes. So he would, because there were two offices and then just like a bed area. And so sometimes Clegg, if he had two days of patience to see, would spend the night in there. And then I think some students found out that there was a bed in there and broke into that room and then fucked, which is pretty rad, I'd say. I always thought that Dr. Fisher like allowed, like somehow like allowed for some. No, but he liked hearing about like transgressions. Like I, I would test the waters with him and be like, like when I was dating Tyler, I would be like, (laughs) I made out with a guy. Mm -hmm. What should I do? And then he was like, do you feel like bad and like you should tell? And I was like, no. And then he's like, okay, then don't. So mind gamey. So, Moral of the story is <laughs> don't have sex with your dad. <laughs> don't accuse. <laughs> don't accuse a freshly grieving young child of, uh, of having like a pedophile relationship with her father. Cause she sat on his lap and was affectionate. Uh, disgusting. What did you say to that when he said that to you? All, I don't remember saying anything. I remember a quietness that is unusual on my part. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very rarely do I quiet down. And I just remember like maybe rageful feelings in my head and just being like, you don't even know what you're talking about anymore officially. You're just kind of like bored of these Cascade students. And that was a, some, a thing that would happen at that school where you could tell people, the, the counselors were just kind of going through the motions. Oh, okay, yeah, here, go do your dishes. Okay, yeah, you have a problems. It's like they're so used to hearing about fucked up stuff that mm-hmm. they were not sensitive to those teachable moments. Well, they have trauma fatigue or something like that. 100%. Or just like, not even like auditory. Desensitized by all that shit. Oh, you don't have something really extreme. Okay, well, you're just complaining or, you know. Yeah. I know there was like a point where it did seem like you're like, we'd have a lot of kids there that would like lie about stuff and like workshops and like experiences that they had. And it was like, who can like out shame like the entire group with their like, who's how dark did it get? 
Yeah. Who's the darkest? Mm-hmm. Oh, totally. Because we had someone in our sister's workshop that like lied. Yeah. She was saying that she was hurting herself or something. I think she, yeah, lied about like self-harm or being like a cutter and then like created this whole narrative journey and then later it came out that she was just lying for attention i don't want to name names i don't want to name names either (laughs) but every family would have someone like that some people and that that those are just the people that love to lie and that's their biggest problem is that they're liars and that's their journey and that's their journey (sighs) so last episode we kind of talked about going through the boarding school experience and i thought like for this one we could talk about like the aftermath reintegration reintegration and just like yeah reacclimating to the culture well i do know that when i got out of boarding school there was something called myspace that had come out was myspace out at that point like, I remember someone made me a MySpace account, this guy that I was, like, starting to date after. He was like, yeah, this is the new thing. It's called MySpace. <laughs> and, like, he made me this account, and he was really cute. Wait, so you went to the graduation party. Like, I have our photos from Yes, I wore journey. a very nice sweater. Yeah. And I straightened my hair. Mm-hmm. You looked glam. <laughs> you did a red lip. Oh, no, you're, you're thinking about our prom our prom on you the didn't dinner do a train. red lip for high school no i did a smoky eye and a clear gloss lip oh, because you have to yeah, choose can, yeah, one, one or the other so but did you drink at the after party no me neither people drank yeah so we had our high school graduation was held in the cafeteria and there were 12 of us it wasn't even high school graduation it was just like the program graduation for the people in our family and there were 12 of us like graduating from cascade and it happened on like a saturday morning snowy snowy at like 9 a.m and i remember it's tradition to like wake up early and take a baseball bat and just like beat the shit out of like the bell by the dining hall do you do that i don't think i cared I ran out there, hit that thing so hard. I can't remember who I did it with, but we I like, think I got reported. You reported to me. I don't remember doing it. I think you did it with me. <laughs> we were pretty, in, we were back on and very, <laughs> there was no one else to hang out with anyway. Yeah. And so we like rang the bell and then I remember my, we like got ready for the graduation ceremony and then my dad was late and he like called and was like, can I talk to Lara? And I was like, hey, what's up? And he's like, I'm running really late. Can you ask them to just like hold the ceremony for like 30 minutes? And I was like, no, like, that's not how what? it works. That's not how life works. You just like, you have to show up. Like, has on this boarding time. school taught you anything, dad? No, the answer is <laughs> a big N O. So, I was then very distressed. I was like, well, my fa-, I was just like triggered. And then sure enough, like he wasn't there on time. We like went up the aisle, like blah, blah, blah. And then he was like 10 or 20 minutes late. And I was just like, this is fucking classic. And then we went through the whole thing, had that horrible appointment with Dr. Fisher. And then there was like a graduation party in Reading. At the hotel. At the hotel, at the Red Lion Inn. Where they gave us keys. 
Oh, yeah. What? I don't have my key anymore. I have a key to some stuff. And my mom gave me a ring about love and trust. Oh, I, lo- I remember your love and trust mm-hmm. ring. I don't think my parents gave me anything. They were like, you've shopped enough online. Um, the school was like five grand a month. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> they were like, uh, so we're good here we're in debt now because of you but then a lot of i remember our friend brandon who didn't graduate like he had left the program he came up for the graduation party and then he and a bunch of people had booze and we're like just trying to hook up with your little brother i think you were (laughs) and my mom was so unsoothed by that oh linda was not happy she was like why are jocelyn and kurt hanging out and I was like, Kurt was in a program at that time as well, right? Yeah, Kurt had also been sent to a therapeutic the boarding ultimate, school. Ultimate, ultimate scam is getting another program demolished. The uh, ultimate scam. Amazing. Well, I'm also like, if you have to send one kid away to therapeutic boarding school, that's like every once in a while, like things happen and maybe they need help. But if you're doing that to two kids within two four. a year of each other, maybe you should turn your gaze inwards and discuss why we aren't raising effective teenagers. But no, that's not like- <laughs> that was not something that anyone really cared to question. It was like much easier to just like ship off. So it was very handsome. Yeah, he's very handsome. And went, and so you guys were flirty, but nothing happened. No, we were just like, oh my gosh, there's a vending machine. Let's eat chocolate. You yeah. Know, like we were like fourth We were having graders. like good old fashioned fun. I was scandalized by the drinking. I was just like, oh my God. And then I was just like, I think I was still traumatized from what had happened the last time I decided to drink. And then I was also like, I don't want my parents to like, I just like want my parents to trust me. Like I need them to know that everything's chill on my end. So then we just like all hung out. And then the next day we're like, bye. We cried at each other. We have a picture of us crying at each other. Really? That picture of us at the hotel. It was like our last picture together. You sent me a picture of us and we're like, both look like we're crying and we're in the Red Lion Hotel. It's like our last moments. Oh my God. And I have a bunch of those photos somewhere too, either I, on my computer or wherever. I don't know. I found it. I found it very odd that the first person I did choose to drink with was someone from Cascade, Seth Mills. <gasps> Oh. He had already dropped out of the program before, but he lived in Southern California somewhere. I had a car. Like, I was just trying to find anyone from Cascade. And then we, like, smoked some cigarettes and had some beers and, like, got kind of drunk. And I was like, this is so fun. But I had to have it be someone from Cascade mm-hmm. so they could understand what I'd been through in order to earn this buzz. Yeah. You know, it made it so much more fruitful. I think the first my first drinking experience was that new year's eve i went to like dallas with a couple girlfriends and we just got like wasted and i and then i woke up the next day i was so hungover and i was like this sucks and there's no one to cop out to anymore yeah and i was just like well this is like a real boner killer and then but i remember getting out of there and like going back home it was the most bizarre feeling because you're just away from your entire like you're like removed it's from like a existence. ghost returning it's yeah a ghost returning it's like it, what i imagine it feels like to like to like get out of jail 
and then be back in the world and just be like, okay. Cause like literally from 2002 to 2004, I don't know anything that happened culturally. Mm-mm. Like, I don't know any movies that came out or like music, music, nothing. It was like literally two years of current events that were just erased from my knowledge or existence. And then, and I also wasn't in contact with a single person from home. So I came back home and was like, uh, like who do I hang out with? Like, I don't know. So I would kind of go out every once in a while with like random friends from like high school or something. And it was fun at first. Cause like every party you go to people are like, Oh my God. And it's like the no best way. feeling. Cause everyone like gives a shit. And then that wears off and you're like, great. I have no friends. And like, I wish that I could see someone that I've known for the past two years, but there's literally no one. Like I live in Oklahoma. And nobody understands. Yeah. And so you're just kind of like wandering around and, Thankfully, I just, like, had enough common sense to just, like, not fall back. Well, I was, like, I'd already maxed out, like, my drug and alcohol moments of, like, coping. So that wasn't an option. So I just, like, played The Sims and watched Sex in the City. Stop. I got my dad. I forgot you had to go back to Oklahoma. Yeah, where there no one else was even from. Like, the closest city that anyone that had gone to school with me lived in was Dallas. So I would go down and like visit our friend that lived there, but like your friend. Yeah. And (laughs) (laughs) but and that was like, okay, but it was not like nothing was ever really like that fulfilling or I just remember I had to move out immediately when I got back, I was like, Oh, okay, cool. And I moved out within a month of, and the only reason I could move out, rest in peace, is because my dad died when I was 17, so the state had to pay $1,000 a month child support. And I was the only person in my family who reaped any benefit from his death. Oh, my God. So I had like eleven grand, and I was like, I'm going to get my own apartment, and I'm going to go to Europe. Love. Thanks for setting me up, Dad. You moved out, and I remember your apartment, because when Coachella rolled around, I saw, like, I was like, oh, my God, I got, I remember getting, like, the email or finding out somehow Maybe that MySpace was, was, was that I don't possible? think I had a MySpace yet. I don't even know. But I was like, holy shit, Radiohead's playing at a music festival. This is going to be fucking amazing. It's like Woodstock. We have to go. And we made a whole trip where I'd fly out to... SoCal. Kyle. And we'd like drive out there and it was a two day festival at the time. So we were like, we'll camp. It's chill. And like, we'll just do the festival. And I remember I was working, I got a job working part time at my dad's office as like a file, a file lady. Administrative. Yeah. And so I would just like file medical charts and like make phone calls to like insurance places and shit. And I had been working there for like three or four months and then Coachella rolled around and I just like went in and told the boss I was like so I actually am like not going to be able to come in like because I have to go to like Coachella and that (laughs) then later I was told like that's not how this like that's not how jobs work like of course she couldn't say no because my dad was like the boss of the office being like the doctor whose practice it was, but it was also just like living in a dream world. And then I 
clearly didn't have enough money to like pay for myself to go to Coachella. So my stepmom, Jenny, said that if I listen to tapes on how to be she made me listen to some sort of self-help tapes. She was like, if you listen to these, I'll buy your plane ticket to go to California. I vaguely remember that story. So I said, okay, for sure. I'll listen to these tapes and then just like would blast them at like, I didn't even listen to them all the way through. Like when she was home, I would blast them really loud in my room. So she thought I was listening to them. And then as soon as she'd leave, I'd turn them off. You got her. Got her. (laughs) She'll never (laughs) self-help you. (laughs) amazing though so then we went to coachella and it was not like a woodstock experience i remember feeling very sweaty and kind of gross i think i remember waking up face down in some grass at some point and i (laughs) crowd surfed at beck oh chill that was really the highlight was crowd surfing for beck because beck is kind of kind of a heartthrob to me that whole beck album where he like is post like post-divorce sea change it was like the perfect time like for my grief process and Mm -hmm. his grief process it was almost like i was making love with beck during my grieving not my dad i love that we went okay so we i flew to your to orange county and we like spent a couple days there i think i bought like a terry cloth romper at a beachy store and was feeling like really good about that and then it was super socal and we went to the beach we went to sunset beach and i was like this is fucking california living and like that was like one of the first times i ever i was like i need to move to southern california after being only in the mountainous region of california northern Mm -hmm. coming to socal it must have been like it was a amazing breath of fresh air and then our friend i don't know how this happened but one of our girlfriends or my girlfriend <laughs> that you guys hated each other. She stole my boyfriend at boarding school. She stole your boyfriend at boarding school and then brought that boyfriend with her so that we all four in a group went to Coachella together. I'm a big Which man is like that. Crazy. Now that I think back on it, I was like, Oh my God. And you this guys asshole. were sworn enemies. You and this girl, this individual, this individual and you were sworn enemies, but somehow I worked it out as like a mediator where I was like, it's going to be fine. And then like, we all just like decided to go on this journey, but we stayed still frowning at her in my mind. We stayed at your apartment for a night and then like drove out the next day. I think like you drove, she and I took so many mushrooms on the way out there and just like tripped in the car and listened to like flaming lips I just remember that the said boyfriend at some point thought that I was her. Yeah. So wait. Talk about the most awkward no. moment. <laughs> so you need to tell that story. Was this before the, it was after we I got back? I think it back. was like we had gotten back. Everyone was all tired and sleepy after two days at Coachella. Because we spent two days at Coachella. We like camped, like did mushrooms, like saw the shows. But then it was like also just really like, I cannot believe that I did that because I would not have been able to survive that kind of behavior now. Like I think I woke we went up, to McDonald's just to go to the AC. Yeah. Like I woke up, we got there, like pulled into the campgrounds as I was like peeking on mushrooms, set up our tent and everything. And then like stayed up like drinking beers and then like fell asleep. And the next morning I woke up at 7am because it's 
the desert and I looked in like a compact mirror and I looked like I'd aged 48 years overnight. I was like, oh my God. Desert will do that. Then I took a shower in like a shared shower trailer. Like it was really, it was a really unclear journey, but oh. still fun because it was like, I was 19 years old. And I, I never like, went oh my for God. the full weekend after that weekend. I went for like one day and then left. I've been back like four times since then. And it's gotten progressively less and less fun until the point where I was like, I'm never coming back here. But I digress. So we got back to Orange County afterwards and we were all in your apartment. Did you, I don't think you even had a roommate at that time or did you? No, have a I just had my side of the apartment with my bathroom and then there was the other side. Okay. Yeah. And I just remember I woke up, you know, everybody's doing their bathroom rounds because we've been partying mm-hmm. we had major. There's a lineup for the brew. <laughs> and I remember coming out to the living room and laying across an ottoman and my hair was kind of covering my face and were you laying face down? I was laying face, face down on my belly on an ottoman, and I just remember being approached from behind and having a man's body press against me that I remember. But this man is my ex boyfriend, and I thought maybe he's finally coming around and realized that bitch was crazy. But in actuality, I flipped my hair over and he acted like he didn't realize it was me. Mind you, this other woman is much taller. Yeah, you guys have different body, body shapes coloring skin hair uh, like everything is he different. pretended like he thought it was her but i think he just couldn't resist obviously <laughs> what did you say when that happened i, I remember like, you told me like a week later and i was shocked i don't know i just remember like looking up and being like oh my god and like <laughs> uh and then remember do you remember hearing him shriek like a girl Oh, like that's what his response was. This no. shrieking, this high pitch AB shrieking. I don't remember the. I don't. Re- I remember like that sound that he would make, yeah. but like I don't remember. This was like a incident. quiet moment yeah. between the two of you. I just remember. I'm gonna go have a cigarette on the balcony now. I should have never allowed the ex boyfriend that I and his girlfriend that. Ugh. Anyway, any yeah, that was boundaries, cr- people. This is a classic moment this of not a, knowing your boundaries. Guess what? It's a teachable moment. Hashtag teachable. Yeah, I don't know. That's pretty crazy for me to have suggested that and arranged that, but it's also crazy for you to have okayed it. But the whole thing. Rolled. I had a yes. That's I have like a classic, yes policy. Though. Yeah classic like 19 year old 20 behavior where you're just like okay like whatever like everything's fine like what i really think that it had more to do with my uh polyamorous and panamorous nature yeah because like even though i wasn't possessive i was just like butthurt that like well no she would start dating him while i was on bands with him because and my dad had just you know this whole thing yeah anyway it was a loaded situation to begin with and we survived it and this was what three months out of boarding school. That was three months out of boarding school. So we're now we're we're going to I, at that point I had kind of like developed a relationship with a guy that lived in Rhode Island and mm-hmm. was having a long distance relationship with him, and he it's pretty long distance. It was like I went over there. <laughs> I mean, talk about emotional availability. Yeah, let's choose someone in Rhode Island to have phone calls with as my new romantic adventure. Um. But I just remember seeing his blonde dreads and being like, this is the one for me. No. (laughs) I forgot about the white dreadlocks. 
white jet locks. I don't understand. I think, okay, I have had male friends to a handful of male friends in my life that have had white male dreadlocks at a certain point in time. I am not in support of white male dreadlocks, but it just so happens that I tend to really enjoy the people underneath those white man dreadlocks. Mainly my husband. He had dreadlocks for 10 years oh my god six five with strawberry blonde dreadlocks that's a real men with white guys with any white people really with dreadlocks is a real babe to me like it's check in a white people aren't engineered for that kind of hair so you have to really like really go hard in that direction to like maintain your problematic and gross hair scent and it's like a whole scent journey. It's like a musty old closet on your head. It's an old towel mold. Yeah. And it's just like an unbecoming look. It's like it is truly one of the biggest babes out, out there right now. But weirdly, I've known quite a few white dreaded babes in my time. I have known them. Mm-hmm. In a biblical sense. I've known them in all the senses and... Just because they have dreads up top doesn't mean they're all like not clean everywhere. I feel like you just pulled a little dread out of oh it's (laughs) my armpit. (laughs) (laughs) I like don't saw like a little mat of hair, but it was just a feather out of the pillow. Yeah, so well your husband thankfully doesn't have white dreads anymore. No, not and I didn't I did not know him when he did, but I wish I would have. I wish I could see him one day. Just like a space travel, time travel. Just to see that guy. Yeah. Okay, let's see who this persona is. Mm-hmm. How does your hair change who you are? And certain tribal cultures believe if you cut your hair, you're actually shedding your own power source. Well, yeah, that's like a classic. So, that goes, speak of biblical, that goes all the way back. But I believe if you cut your dreadlocks off as a white person, you're shedding your white power source. <laughs> And it then becomes a good thing. <laughs> I love shedding regardless. So, well, I'm glad that I'm glad Jason isn't there anymore. Nope. He's just, it's in just a place of love and light and respect. Yeah. The internal dread. Um, and yeah, you don't, I saw a meme that said, you don't have to have dreads to have white dread energy. So. I, I considered having dreads at one point, and sure. it's disgusting. I'm not. Mm-mm. It was never for me. I like a brush out the hair, shampoo, conditioner. I would prefer just shaving my head. Yeah. You've had like a half shaved head, though. And it, now, right now, you have like a whole shave moment. It's, it feels good. I feel I feel postmodern. Yeah. It's a look. I feel like I like. I feel it's it's a postpartum moment, if you will. <laughs> For all the moms out there. If you know anyone that's had a child, I guarantee you within one year of that child's birth, there will be a drastic hair change. Start taking note of moms and what they do after they have their baby. 
some moms will dye their hair. Some moms will get really long hair. Some moms will just do something totally different. Usually the hair changes. It's part of the identity crisis called postpartum. Mm-hmm. Who am I now? Yeah. Who am I? I don't know. I'm going to shave part of my head. I actually feel more like myself now that I shave part of my head because having a baby on my side, I'm constantly like, uh, like milk and cookies. You know, everyone's like, oh, baby, cute, sweet. And like the, there's this expectation that I'm like this homemaking woman. And I feel like having my head shaved lets people know. You're punk too. That no fucks given. Yeah. I... I'm having constant realization about motherhood and what that means. And then I, in this moment, my moment of realization was in terms of identity and being like, who am I? That resonates because I, I just feel like what, how else would you feel after you've like grown and passed like another human into the world? Like you're just like, you're like, did you ever think, am I just a vessel? Well, also that that baby feels exactly like your own tissue. Yeah. So when you touch your baby, sometimes you don't know if you're touching yourself or the baby Ooh. for a while. Now, when I was giving birth naturally, I reached my hand inside my vagina and felt the baby's head both times as I was pushing the baby down the canal. And I could definitely feel the difference of, that's not my tissue. Mm-hmm. That's the skull of something that isn't me coming But to like down. reach into yourself and feel something that you you feel with your fingertips but don't feel but don't from the inside exactly and then once the baby comes out that's like doing the finger thing where you hold your fingers together (laughs) and and then someone goes "Mm," and it feels like their finger is numb i'm like parent (laughs) (laughs) non-parent here's my hot non-parent take know where you go put your fingers together put your two fingers together like all the way like this Uh And then I go like this ah! and it feels like a numb. So strange. Anyways, that's wild. So who am I? If I, if I touch myself, I touch my baby and I'm just kind of like, I've got flesh and I have a fleshling over there that's separate from me, <laughs> but of my own flesh. And now that person's also uh, fully sustained off of my own breast fluid. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like you just become your child no. Yeah, I feel like, well, with each of the babies being born, I felt like I was born again. Mm-hmm. Like this moment of like looking at life through these brand new eyes and and not really uh, knowing what's going to happen next. Because I don't know how Opal's going to respond to something. It's going to be a brand new way yeah. compared to Lola's had her way mm-hmm. so the identity crisis is real because you don't know who this person is going to be who you created and, and you, you have know, no control over it and you have no control and you have no idea really what does this mean about who i am now besides that i love things mm-hmm. and that i can successfully uh grow humans and um what does that mean about who i am that's pretty much but also there's all the chemicals that are recalibrating after growing a human for nine months and and the placenta being in your body then stripping yourself of that placenta and just having completely no balancing of hormones. So the placenta basically is balancing you the whole time. Mm-hmm. Then you give birth and you're just like you're fucking stripped, cleaned out, cleaned out, empty balloon, a, a floppy empty balloon. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So, yeah, it's fun. I love them, the little children. Yeah. It's worth it, they say. You're just like a shell. A shell without, of a human. A shell of a human trying to figure out who you are again. I'll change my hair because that's what the culture tells me to do. Would you have stayed pregnant forever if you could? Or did you like being pregnant? Or? No. Pregnant was, pregnancy when I was 25 was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I was teaching yoga until I was eight months pregnant. I was giving yeah, massage. Active. I was feeling great. I mean, I was, I was couch hopping. <laughs> so I didn't really have a house to live in during my pregnancy. The first time, so I was very active going to different places. I had five different massage gigs and stuff like that. Second pregnancy, five years later, 10 or 15 pounds heavier to start. My whole body was just like, not having it yeah happy it felt like pretty much around month three or four of pregnancy that her head was just resting at my vaginal lips you're like is she gonna just fall out she's gonna fall her head's just gonna fall on out (laughs) come on down so it was definitely like uh the second time your body is a different a different flesh suit well you also like the discrepancy between like the circumstances of the first time versus the second time were like a complete 180 essentially. And also having a child and being pregnant versus being pregnant and not having a child. Yeah. So kind of having a knowledge of like what to expect versus But also just, I'm already momming. Yeah. There's no stopping. There's no breaking in your second pregnancy. You're momming out the whole time. There's no like, oh, I'm like want to crave chocolate and have a nap. I'm so pregnant. Yeah. I'm going to like put my feet up and like have a massage none of that i did get i've received tons of massages at sacred roots oh yeah yeah. my externship program these these therapists in training have to do a certain amount of hours and Mm -hmm. so they would donate hours to sacred roots and that's chill i would get two hour massages and that was wonderful but yeah the body is an interesting place i'm committed to strengthening my core and strengthening my pelvic floor now i love a a strong pelvic floor are you trying to have another kid? Mm, mm, mm. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> Is that a yes or no? I don't know. I know that... Only time will tell. The six-year-old has requested another sister. Mm-hmm. I would prefer not to have three girls in a row, but then maybe a girl posse is where it's at because like, boys are kind of a nightmare. Baby boners freak me the fuck Ew. out. Baby boys get boners. No. And they, do, they point them at their own mothers. Gross. <laughs> Lots of incest on this podcast. <laughs> Lots of incest on this episode. <laughs> well, um, yeah, I don't, I mean, God. if I had another child, it wouldn't be for three or four more years and I'd have to have my body on lock. I would have to be GI Jane in order for any semen to pass the threshold. Yeah. I have to be in like full blown, like handstand pushups, best yoga practice I've had, like running two to three miles apocalypse training a day. Like that's what it takes to be pregnant and give birth. Like it's, an athlete. You have to, it's, and then birthing is like an athletic experience in itself that the whole time you're just in training to like, bear down yeah 
So am I ready for that? I think that I don't think any pregnancy will ever get better than my first pregnancy. Yeah. Cause it was like new my body. I was 25 and it was like a journey that you were wanting to go on. Like it wasn't something that was necessarily planned, but like once it happened, I was embracing the process of, of harboring the baby. Yeah. Like it, you were like, this is what's happened. I remember you called me and you were like, I'm pregnant and I'm having this baby. And I was like, Okay. The jury was out for people were not necessarily happy about the baby coming through, but I was like, this is the only way after having an abortion. There's no way Mm -hmm. that I'll ever have an abortion again. Yeah. Just can't do it. Mm -hmm. Now, if, (laughs) if you're the lucky one that can have more than one abortion and not care, then more power to you. Yeah. But I just did not have the wherewithal to kill something inside of me again. I was like, I just know that it resulted in a deep depression mm-hmm. and a really complex set of feelings. And I think that anyone, I want everyone to, you know, I'm pro-choice. I want everyone to have abortions if they need them, if they want them, if yeah. whatever, if you're 45 and you don't want to have a baby, get the abortion. Yeah. Because we don't want anyone to be parenting that doesn't want to parent. No. But I knew that I could not stand for morally. I mean, I prayed to God for the first time in like, six years after the abortion because mm-hmm. I was just like trying to understand I don't know if it was the hormones or whatever but I was just like like when you found out you were like praying? no like post-abortion like how this, old were you I was 21 okay and I was just like traumatized like I was like who am I that I would kill something that was growing inside of me mm-hmm. like it brought up this it was postpartum yeah <laughs> no wonder but you didn't at the time you were like let's just like do this or I can't, I'm like, I was with where were you? Ro, yeah. You were living in Ar- Connecticut. No, I was just visiting Ro for a couple in, weeks in Mount Shasta or visiting Mount Shasta. The, this is actually, I was living in Southern California uh-huh. in acting school. Uh huh. And I was, Oh, okay. I was Are, in method was acting school. In Santa Monica. In going, Santa Monica. Okay. And I was visiting Ro, my what yoga year? teacher. This was, must've been 2006 six maybe okay um and i was roofing her her boyfriend's house with him to pay for my skydiving ticket (laughs) i was like hey i'll help roof your house if you give you know you can pay for my skydiving ticket and everybody gets what they need and so i was roofing it and i just felt like so sweaty and so i was like i just feel so bloated and i can't not get bloated and we went shopping and she was like you have to take a pregnancy test and I was like, oh, no way. I just want these jeans to fit. Like, don't make me take a pregnancy test. Oh. And then we went and we took the pregnancy test. And I was supposed to go skydiving the next day. And I was like, I'm definitely getting an abortion. And this baby is going to have the best life ever going skydiving with me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you find out you're pregnant and then it, you're really bummed out about maybe not being able to go skydiving you should probably get it no i think <laughs> i think i was ha- i'm glad i listened to that voice yeah no i think that's always better like everything was said and done and the decision had been made and it caught co- it's a cause and effect thing right so like yes it caused you to have depression and like it all- catapulted me into my growth so. yeah but then it also it's like then when you did have lola it like that paved the way for you to be able to have this like incredibly fulfilling like rewarding life experience that you might not have had had you just given in and been like felt 
like you had to have a child that you didn't want to have. It's so complicated. Like these moments that are really defining or like choices we make that lead to everything else, bad, like bad quote unquote consequences that you kind of have to like come to terms with and have and give yourself your teachable moment. But like, what's amazing is that you're able to get through it and just like be resilient and like, and then power forward to have a child eventually, which was Opal. Yeah. And cause Lola was not planned either. No, you're we, very fertile. I, <laughs> fertile, fertile Myrtle over fertile, here. It's the, it's the Polish. Um, <laughs> no, I went to yoga teacher training and met Lola's dad at yoga teacher training. And I thought he was like, so pretty. It was gross. I was like, your face is too attractive. I'm not into you. I like scruffy guys. Like I'm missing one of my fingers. Like I need somebody who has bigger balls than me. You know, mm-hmm. like get your pretty face away from me. Stop trying to smoke my weed. Yeah. And then, like, he just kept on being persistent and wanting to hang out. And so we hung out. This was, like, my first long-term relationship of three to four months. Mm-hmm. And I was trying to convince him to have, like, multiple partners, but he wasn't interested. And then we broke up. Yeah. And then a week later, I found out I was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. We had a pact made six months be- prior. Because you were together for your birthday. When did you find out you were pregnant? It was in March. Okay, yeah, because I remember I came down to Long Beach for your birthday and went out to eat with your fam, and you were with, and you guys were together at that point. So yes. it was like everyone had birthday dinner, and then like a month or two later, you were like, "Hey, P.S. Just FYI, I'm preg, making a human over here." Yeah, and it was actually hilarious because he was, I was like pray for my period. I texted him mm-hmm. and then we were broken up. I was just like, pray for my period. And he was like, ha love child. That's what he sent back. Mm. Even though he broke up with me. And then the next day it was when I took the test, he was like, Oh my God, we can't do this. And like all the levels of all the feelings came through. And I was just like, well then head on out. I'm doing it. Yeah. We made a pact. There's been enough death in this life and we're not going to contribute to any more death or any more guilt around death. Yeah. And so, you know, I just said, you know, whether or not you're involved, this baby's happening and his grandmother committed suicide. Oh, I didn't know that. So he was like, my grandmother committed suicide and your dad committed suicide. This kid's going to be insane. And I was just like, you know what? You have your own issues. And if anything, this kid will guide us to our highest self. Mm-hmm. You know, we met in our, our yoga teacher training. Like, this kid is a yogi coming through, wanting to teach us the good stuff. And yeah. I think that I, I think that she continues to teach me. The other day, when you're talking about sun gazing, mm-hmm. yesterday, she, I was like, what are you hungry for? And she said, I'm not hungry for food. Knowledge feeds me. <gasps> She's a sass, a sassafras. Yeah. And then you had Lola, your first, and she is truly like a light being, People a light being, like whole, has been from the second she was born, just like a special little creature who understands more than a lot of like grown adults that I meet. She just gets it. She has a fun, she has a good sense of humor and like is like a little mini 30 year old. It's amazing. It's amazing. It's a gift. But so, I yeah. also like, do you think about like how or what your approach is going to be if she does get depressed or go through those hard she experiences? She has anxiety now. Because that's something I worry about a lot is like, 
I like I have a pretty great genetic background, except for the fact that I bring like crazy amounts of depression and anxiety from both sides of my family to the table. But like, other than that, pretty healthy. And like, I worry about procreating with someone who also has like histories of mental illness in their family. Cause I'm like, fuck. Everybody has history of mental illness in their family, guaranteed. Yeah. And, and if they say they don't, then they actually probably are just narcissists who are willing to accept that they do have mental his- mental illness history. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, what's the approach then? With Lola, we yeah. do powwows. Mm-hmm. I mean, we really focus on emotional intelligence. Bringing in the awareness about our feelings and being able to articulate our feelings. That's step number one. People who don't have the ability to communicate their feelings, they're the people killing themselves. They don't know how to express. So I think that just by raising both of the girls with a strong connection to their ability to express themselves, Mm -hmm. whether it's anxious feelings or angry feelings, or I mean, sometimes it's frustrating. They express themselves a little too well, and you're like, listen, you're five, and you have to shut up now. Yeah. But overall, integrating keys into nonviolent communication, talking about... When there's a, a teachable moment, mm-hmm. when it comes up of like, oh, that didn't feel good. Why didn't that feel good? Okay. How, do you know a time in your, when in school or at home when that didn't feel good for you? Can you relate? You know, rather than just glazing over those moments, it's choosing to slow down and say, oh, my kid is not acting right. Let's check in with them. Yeah. And see how they're feeling. Like normally they're happy go lucky or whatever. It's, it's picking up on the nuances of your child. But I mean, I fear that I'm just creating more neuroses, right? I mean, because- obviously you fear that, but I think what you just said, like, hit me pretty s- strongly because I feel like that's like how I have to take care of myself. Exactly. Like, and this past, like, that in August, I always have like a bad August. Like, for some reason that month, every August is just like awful. Like, it's just weird feelings. It's like stagnant summertime. I don't know. It just like burnout, end of summer burnout. Ayurvedically, it's classic. Everyone in August, they're all burnt out from all the heat. And then they've also been partying and everybody's pretty much going into transition and everyone's trying to gear up for something new, but nobody, know, you know, like, yeah, this is a classic cycle of, I mean, in that if you're a European, you just like go to Italy or some shit, but like. I'm pretty locked down in LA with no expendable income to travel at this moment in time. So it's like, just going to go to the beach, I guess, which is nice. But like, also, I don't know. It's like when I have those moments, I'm having to like teach myself how to check in. And like, for me, it's like, I have to write it all out or like, just like word vomit out into a journal or something to be able to just like, it truly is like, squeezing out a sponge of all the excess liquid that needs to like come out of my system so that I'm not harboring all these like feelings of self-doubt or fear, low self-esteem or anger, frustration, anxiety, etc. But those that's one school of thought is that if we if we wring out those feelings then we'll be rid of them and then there's the other school of thought that by giving more energy to those feelings that we're actually propelling more of that thought pathway. So it's something to consider of, you know, sometimes when we're feeling anxious or depressed, 
rather than diving deeper into the pain body, mm-hmm. what if we decided to douse ourselves with uh, angelic light or, you know, like meditation sun gazing or, or yes, yeah, meditation, yeah, some kind of, <laughs> no, I mean, I mean just, it's not about expression, but it's actually about building the self care muscle of integrating a new habit instead of integrating more energy toward the depression, toward the anxiety, mm-hmm. choosing a pathway that is building something totally new and different. Yeah. Well, I think personally for me, it's like the purge is part of the build. Yes, no, just, I think both are good. I'm just yeah, bringing no, but for like devil's that, advocate purposes. Yeah, but like for my process, like that feels it's like two handed, where it's like get it out, but then that is creating like something positive, a space so that yeah, you just have. because it mm-hmm. like I do feel those types of feelings like bubble up, and it does feel like it's just like taking over, and I'm a very like. I'm a vocalizer and like expressor. Yeah. Expressor. So it just is like part of that, but it's interesting. So yeah, Lola's old enough to write now. She is reading really well. So Mm -hmm. we could probably get her on her journal journey soon. A journaling journey is where it's right now. I just write journal entries to her and she reads them. But since she's at her dad's house, you know, having a shared custody, that's where a lot of her, anxiety and depression comes from not wanting to leave mom Mm -hmm. and not feeling comfortable with having dad being scary and no one else is there Mm -hmm. Um, or just having two dads and what the pressure of having two dads versus one dad Mm -hmm. feels like to her and just hearing her out. And then I just check in with her and I say, well, how's your love meter feeling? Is it full? Is it halfway full? Is it all the way full? And sometimes she's like, it's really low. You're really going to have to do this, this, and this. And I ask, you know, how can I fill that cup? Yeah. Sometimes she's like, watch TV. But really, (laughs) what she's saying is that she wants to cuddle with me. Yeah. You know, that if TV is on, or let's have a book. Let's read a book and cuddle. Or let's just go talk over here. And really, it's every time the answer is just craving genuine intimacy and closeness. And that's what that nurturing feeling soothes, soothes that. Mm -hmm. So ecstasy. I love it. Let's do some reader mail. Yes, please. Hi, Laura, an esteemed guest. Firstly, thanks for the years of lols. I love listening to an intelligent, funny woman talk about serious and trivial issues with equal respect. And I appreciate you sharing your journeys with us readers. I have a babe friendship I could really use some advice on. Elle, we'll call her, and I met in high school and were BFF through high school and college. Everything felt normal all the time, but now looking back as a 30-year-old, there were several issues that I was too young to fully handle. For one, Elle had, has, a crippling eating disorder that her parents were ill-equipped to handle. They once offered to buy her a new car if she consistently ate. Babe? Her parents also had terrible marriage and her other siblings are fucked up as well. Her dad ended up leaving her mom while the youngest sister was off at camp. This naturally led to some babe behaviors in college, sleeping with guys that girls in our friend group had crushes on getting beyond blackout drunk. I once had to put a pad on her underwear because I found her passed out on the toilet, dangling a bloody tampon and generally not dealing with her deeper mental health issues. Fast forward a few years and she's grown apart from our friend group. She's in NYC, I'm in the South, but has the delusion that we're still tight ass BFFs, sends me passive aggressive texts. And when I don't respond, sends me things like, are you alive? Hashtag worst friend ever. I promise you I've had maybe 10 total hours of FaceTime with her in the past six years and nothing beyond a quick catch up dinner or coffee when we're in each other's respective cities. 
She's lost all social norms, insults our friends who have gotten married or thinking about getting pregnant. We're in our 30s, so this is pretty normal, and got mad because I didn't tell her I started dating a guy when I saw her over Christmas. Meanwhile, we hadn't talked in truly a year and a half. I visit another friend in NYC a couple times a year, and sometimes I don't mention I'm visiting. Last time she saw me on my sister's Instagram and immediately texted that she was pissed I didn't tell her in advance. Again, we don't speak regularly. My tactic so far has been to somewhat ghost her, but it's clearly not working and is certainly not the most mature route. Do I need to have a friendship breakup? Do I continue to ghost and give vague responses? I truly feel for her since it must be hard to see me and all my friends, her former, in weddings together, going on trips, and simply still being in each other's lives, on top of knowing all the babe things in her life that have led to this state. But I can't keep bearing the guilt of that, right? I really don't know what to say that would be the most mature, productive conversation. I really hope you can help. If not, it's been therapeutic just writing this email. So thanks for the outlet. Love and light. Mm. Friendship breakups are tough. I don't know if they're even necessary. Like, I don't know if you feel like having some sort of final conversation would help you in just like sealing it off. Then I say definitely. But like, Also, I think you could just ghost and block or just like not respond and she'll get the picture eventually. If you don't genuinely care about the person, there's no need to put any more energy in her direction. Actually, if you do even genuinely care about the person and you don't intend on relating to them anymore, why even put any energy in their direction? Yeah. I mean, and also I sometimes like I just had a recent breakup um, with somebody that worked with me for mm-hmm. four years and somebody that I trained and was like an apprentice and, and they kind of just like broke up with me kind of in a harsh way mm-hmm. and unexpected. And I've noticed that I'm grieving a lot, but really was it necessary to make that very official breakup or could it just been like a natural organic space is being created? Kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and I think that Sometimes when we're wanting to do a breakup, really, we could probably just write something and then burn it and never tell that person and have personal feel like it's reconciliation within ourselves. There's no need to externalize. Externalization is like something of the culture also, right? Yeah. Sort within ourselves. Like, I feel like when I've been in this situation and have like, it'll bring up a lot of feelings for me where it's like, if I'm on the outs with a friend and I'm trying to process it, like I'll go through periods of sadness and then periods of anger. And then I'll have so much anger emotions going on that I'm like, I need to like talk to this person about it or get it out of my system or blah, blah, blah. But after I've done that, I, those feelings are still there. Like it does not necessarily eradicate them or do anything aside from like it creates a moment and then it's like detracts somewhat but then they're still there so i don't know what i think it invites more intimacy with the person so if you engage with the person then you're actually calling them more into your life Mm -hmm. whereas if you can sort on your own then that means you really are done with that relationship yeah and just let it go and like move on yeah and you could see it as ghosting or you could see it as um evolving taking space (laughs) oh here's a good one Oh my God, Laura, this is an emergency. After being unemployed since April, it finally happened. I got a job offer in sunny California. I had a wonderful discussion about the benefits and such with the recruiter. And then she mentioned that she would send me HR paperwork and info about phase two and the drug test. 
drug test? Oh, fuck. What the fuck do I do? I've been smoking pot every day of my life for the past 10 (laughs) years. I can't blow this. I've already told everyone I accepted the job. I'll be mortified if I don't pass the test. Have you ever been drug tested? I need help from all the readers. Do these cleanse kits work? Does apple cider vinegar work? I'm freaking out and I can't smoke to calm myself down. This totally sucks. XO. I've been there. I've been there as well. Not for a job, but just like getting drug tested for life as a troubled teen. Exactly. I procured someone's pee that was not a drug user or a pot smoker. The problem was that the drug test they gave me was heat sensitive Mm -hmm. and the urine was cooled already. I learned later at boarding school how to properly, uh, you know, (laughs) handle the drug test. How do you handle it if you want to? I think getting someone's urine is. What? Yeah, if you want to use your own pee. Getting someone else's urine is like too difficult. And it's like also you have to handle urine. You might have to like put it in like a glove and then like squirt it. Next to a warm pack. Yeah, like you don't want to do that. I think those those cleanse kits do work. I've tried those. I've passed every drug test I ever was administered as a teen. Really? Mm-hmm. What you, you? So you just did a cleanse? I feel like cranberry. The first time I, I did, the first time I just drank like tons and tons and tons of water for a week. And then I took the drug test and passed. And I didn't think that I was going to, but then it did. And I was just like, see, mom, like I don't do fucking drugs. Then the second time I was like out and about with some friends and this guy like tossed me one of those like cleanse out like juices or whatever that's like you drink it and then you drink like 32 ounces of water and then your system's clear for like a window of time and I took it home and then the next day like I got really really wasted one night and then the next day my mom called me at 9 a.m and was like you need to get up and meet me at this like like youth testing facility because you are getting a drug test today And I was just like, fuck my fucking life. But at least I have this like cleanse thing. So I drank the whole cleanse thing, wildly hung over. It tasted like shit. And then it said drink 32 ounces of water, but I didn't know like how much water that was. So I just chugged eight bottles of water. And that was not the journey because on my way to that test, I started to throw up in my car while I was driving. Vomina because of all the water. Yeah. And I threw up. I was like, the readers know I have like lots of fears about throwing up in public. So I like didn't know what to do. And I was like freaking out over having to like pull over the car and like get out and throw up on a public street. So I just decided to like, I like turned into the nearest neighborhood and then just like opened the car door and tried to like vomit out of it as I was driving. But that felt really dangerous. So then I closed the door and just like finished vomiting on myself, like fully just like let it rip. Then I tried to call my mom because I was like, great, this is the perfect excuse to not have to take this stupid drug test. And I called her and I was like, mom, I'm sick. I can't do it. And she was like, get down here. No, I don't care. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? So I drove in a pool of my own vomit the next 15 minutes to the drug testing facility, got out of the car, dripping with vomit, and was like, are you happy now? Look at me. And she was like, yes, come inside and made me take this drug. I had to walk into this testing facility in front of like tons of people at their jobs, dripping vomit and like take this drug test, which like if you show up to 
a drug testing facility covered in vomit, chances are like you don't need a test to tell you that person probably does drugs. But I took the drug test and then the results came in and I'd passed it. And I was like, see, I told you I don't fucking do drugs. Nice try. And then throwing up for fun. I was like, I was sick. What? And then she cleaned out my car for me, which was really nice. But then she found a bunch of like uh, supplements that I had also had in case of having to get an emergency drug test. And she was like, why do you have niacin in your car? So is that what she needs to do is niacin? I don't know. I've heard niacin and I've heard um, other stuff, but it's legal in California. What kind of job is this even that you're going to? Do they still do that in California? They drug test? They can do that. I don't know. I don't I don't work in any sort of career where a drug test would be relevant for me. I think it's so. discrimination. I think it's considered discrimination. What if you have to smoke weed? Yeah, like what are you worried about? I need more info. But I think just go to a, any head shop will have like drug passing drinks. And also Google it. Like just drink one of those drinks. You're going to pass with flying colors. You're going to be fine. People like people who smoke pot anyway. Yeah. Be like, yeah, I smoke fucking pot. It's chill. So do you. And so did your mom. Yeah. Okay. Let's <laughs> find another reader mail. I mean, how do you even choose which reader? What is the, what does it take to really be a featured reader? To be a featured reader, it kind of just has to hit me in the moment when I'm going through emails because I get emails on my phone and I see what they're about and then I make a mental note of like, oh, I wanted to talk about that email. But then when I finally am sitting down to go through them, then I just try and remember what I was interested in. And then I go find it. But I remembered this one, which was one I was very interested in, but it makes sense for an earlier conversation <laughs> that you'll find out about now. Okay. Subject, daddy issues. Oh, good. My favorite. <laughs> Please keep me anonymous if you decide to read this on the pod. Obviously, I'm, I want to say to everyone, I will keep everyone anonymous. I love the plea, though. I know. I love the plea, but I also, like, keep please, keep on pleading, but also I would... I dare you not to plea. Oh. <laughs> Double dare. Okay. Hi, Lara. A friend recently introduced me to Babe. And I've quickly devoured all related content, pods, writing, etc. that I could find, and I've loved it all. Your writing and insights are truly universal and relatable and important. Please keep it up. Anyways, the reason I'm writing is because I'm really ticked off at my dad, who is a classic narcissist, and I'm not sure if confronting him would be worth it or appropriate. And I feel like you're kind of a kindred spirit and may have some helpful insights. The backstory. When I was 12, my dad left my mom for a flight attendant. He was a pilot. Shock named Angie. Angie was much younger than my dad and really not keen on being a stepmom to me and my three sisters. Although she'd been a deadhead and flower child when she was younger, she was actually pretty nasty to us. As a resentful goth adjacent teen, I relished calling her names like herpes whore and gold digging slut (laughs) at the dinner table in front of guests. After I went off to college, I became deeply immersed in the club scene and going to raves. It was the early 90s, and I did a lot of MDMA and LSD and whatnot. During this time, I gradually gained an appreciation for Angie, especially the time when I was having a really bad trip in New Orleans. I had candy flipped, which is what we used to call taking acid and MDMA at the same time, and in a drug-addled panic, called my dad to ask him to put me on the phone next flight home. My dad confessed he'd only ever used cocaine, so he didn't know what to tell me to do. (laughs) 
He handed the phone to Angie, who was like, man, I never did ecstasy or acid. Quaaludes and pot were my thing back in the day, so I'm not sure what advice to give you either. I got over my bad trip, even though my dad refused to send me a plane to get home. And after that, Angie and I were kind of bonded and established a lasting detente. I cleaned up my act and went off to medical school and became a neurodiologist. What the fuck? And things between me and Angie were pretty chill, I guess. She was never the nicest or warmest person, but we had a mutual appreciation for each other and an open conflict at the dinner table was a thing of the past. She even helped me come out to her and my dad when I was in college by randomly saying one day, hey, your dad and I know you're gay and we're okay with it, so you don't have to hide it from us anymore. Chic. Fast forward to a year ago, Angie has terminal breast cancer and has opted to die at home. For the months preceding her death, my dad would call me and complain that Angie was being mean to him and refused to let him tend to her. She hardly spoke to him and he had no clue why. I felt really bad for my dad and tried to console him with explanations that maybe Angie was resentful, that she's dying and feels bad because given their age difference, she'd probably always expected that he'd go first and she'd be there to take care of him. It was really gut-wrenching and sad to hear my dad lament about the situation, so I do my best to cheer him up and make sense of things. On the day Angie died, my sisters and I took turns sitting with her. When it was my turn, I played the Grateful Dead's Ripple for her on repeat. She was unconscious at that point, but I would like to think that somehow the music got through to her and gave her some sense of peace in her final hours. It was a beautiful moment, and I'm thankful for it, but it was kind of tainted by knowing that she'd refused to allow my dad to participate in her care. I felt sad for Angie, but doubly sad for my dad, and we were all kind of relieved for him when it was over. Later, we learned, though, that while Angie was dying, my dad, who was in his 70s, had been having an affair with a woman who lived nearby, and Angie knew about it. That explained why she'd been so angry with my dad. It wasn't because Angie was a bitch. It was because my dad was a philandering asshole. My dad is still with this woman and they are living, laughing, lolling, and he's very happy. He always calls me in the evenings and they're drinking wine and dancing around the house with big chill era music in the background. They're clearly having a blast with each other. I'm glad that my dad is in such a good place. I was worried that he'd be lonely after Angie died, but he seems to be having the time of his life with this new woman. I can't shake but feeling conned by him, though. He milked me and my sisters for sympathy while Angie was dying, claiming not to understand why she was treating him so badly when he was totally cheating on her, just like he cheated on my mom. The whole scenario is such a troll. Should I confront him with this, or is there some other way you'd recommend I deal with my feelings of disappointment and resentment? I really appreciate your insight. Sorry if this was TDLDR. I live for your content and laws. Also, on an unrelated note, for no legitimate reason, I really didn't think I'd like Ed as a stand-in for Ryan on Babe, but he did such a great job, and I'm here for any and all eps featuring him in the future. Also, I've been a massive fan of Casey J. Nellison for a minute now, and I'd love to hear you guys, Babe, out together on the pod. Much love and light. Wow. I love the vulnerability here. I love it too. And I have multiple sensitivities for this email because it a it's so close to home that I'm like, are you stalking me and having like a shattered glass moment with my life? Or are we just like all connected and this is like a wild synchronicity event? Synchronous synchro synchronistic synchronistic event and i think both all of the above yeah and i don't know i think if you are feeling like you 
need to have a communication moment and like talk to your dad. I feel like he's pretty much shown you who he is over and over and over. So I don't think anything you say is going to change his behavior. And if that's what you're hoping, you're better off like not. What I'm hearing is that she's enjoying her dad's capacity to love. I think it's a he. Oh, I'm sorry. He? I don't. This person is. Yes. This person. My sweet. I love this. Well, he is enjoying his dad's capacity to love. And while he feels conflicted, I'm getting more of this appreciation for his dad's kind of before his time panamory. Yeah. Okay. He, he was actually taking care of himself by creating relationship with someone, you know, when, in, at least in his perspective, I'm not yeah, saying that in the his cheating is okay. What, yeah. They don't know what the conversation, maybe it was open. Maybe, maybe he told her, you know, this is going on or maybe mm-hmm. it was like, maybe she wanted him to have love still knowing that she was going to die. Yeah. We don't know what the circumstances That's are. It's a really sensitive situation. Like I don't think anyone, but the people who are truly the closest know what it is. I don't know if anyone knows what it is. That's a heavy duty. But is there ever a reason to confront somebody about loving somebody? I mean, what's the outcome that you're looking for besides contention? I think that when there's love going on, you just either leave it alone and harbor your own stuff or you dive in. And Angie is passed on. So should we draw an animal card for Angie? That's what we've been doing all night. We should definitely. We did take an animal card break. We Well, we took a dinner break and then an animal card extended break. And then now we're back for this very last but in very important reader mail. The most important. So we're going to draw. I'm going to draw. I'll hold your mic. Thank you. You're welcome. A animal spirit card for Angie. Very nice. Now, what's the purpose of these animal cards? I mean, it's not like saying like, oh, you're an elk today. It's just like they call in energy. And I've done this on the pod before, so the readers know. Okay, But when a spirit card needs to happen, it needs to happen. Okay, so we're... Okay, so I just drew a card for Angie, and the card is a lamb, which I, I love this. You have a certain affinity for lamb. I love a lammy. A lamb. Peaceful, prophetic, patient. The lamb is the bearer of an important message. Its contents can only be heard when a deep level of quiet has been established. Lamb energy is the honest guidance you hear from an old friend, a young child, or sometimes a surprising stranger. Though the lamb's message may channel through another person, the wisdom resonates within you. It will repeat and reverberate until you listen. Approach this gentle creature with the utmost patience and reverence. Truth is a gift. Sit still, listen, receive. When in balance, knowingness, inner peace. When out of balance, quiet, timid, concerned. To bring into balance, meditation, listening. Okay, so I think the lamb energy is a really good indicator that there's a lot of peace and a lot of love and maybe that's enough for now. And it's pretty simple. Yeah. I love that. I actually feel like 
Angie is sending a message about his dad. Mm-hmm. What worries that now, and why disturb a peaceful lamb? Yeah, that it's chill. Bah, bah. Bitch. <laughs> bah. The, the, the more aggressive she goat. That was a goat. I have goat energy. I have goat energy. I have a goat tattooed on my head right now. You do have a goat riding a unicycle tattooed it's on a, your head. A man with a goat head. What is that? Like a what that's like the opposite. He's wearing a blazer playing a mandolin. I don't know if riding he's definable. a unicycle. Riding no. a penny farthing, which is one of the first bicycles <laughs> of all time. It's a larger this front is a, wheel. Maybe the most babe tattoo of all time, but truly the biggest revelation is that you have two huge scalp tattoos that just exist under your hair. In hiding. The key to this tattoo is the elevation and empowerment of masculine energy. <laughs> Men are being shit on right now, and we're calling on them and saying, hey, rise to the occasion, play the mandolin, ride the penny farthing, and show us all of your goodness, gentlemen. But how are you doing that by tattooing your scalp? You're I put it on the, well, no, I put this on the right side because right is masculine side of the body. Okay. And I also have a few injuries that have occurred on the right side of the body. So I felt like, you know, between bone grafts and missing fingers yes. and missing earlobe oh. that I would, you know, f- complete the story over here Okay, and speak to the masculine and its elevation and my commitment to it. And, and this guy's just singing in my ear all the time. I can't stop it. I love I love that. I didn't know the whole history behind the tat. So we just got to honor lamb and goat equally. And goat. <laughs> I can't do it. I can't, I'm trying to be a lamb, but I'm just truly goat energy. <laughs> Joss, tell everyone where they can find you. Um, you guys can find us at Panacea Holistic institute.org or sacredrootsholistichealing.com and we're here to offer self-care and massage therapy, meditation instruction, yoga and all of the above to anyone willing and ready to receive the gifts. Love. And you can write Jocelyn reader mail for holistic advice, honey, at (laughs) babepodcast at gmail.com and if you like this podcast and you're vibing right now, just let your finger slide over to a five-star rating and then write a one-sentence review and say what you liked about it the most. But only good reviews, no bad reviews. Five stars, great review. Babepodcast at gmail.com and follow on Instagram at babepodcast. Love and light. Namaste. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.